I think that was three or four. I'm not sure if it was four or three. This is Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance with an emergency, our first ever emergency. Um, and if Doug was titled it, probably the Chris Overreacts edition. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're talking, this is our uh, Connect This episode, um, a show, uh, an episode about the new rules from Treasury, but also some breaking news from Travis that prices are going up. We're going to have a dramatic, dramatic discussion about the state of the industry. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, fiber and materials pricing and um, that prices are going up. And my notes, I should have written in bigger font. Um, and then we're going to talk mostly about the rules that the Department of the Treasury came up regarding uh, the billions of dollars that are available to local governments and state governments that are authorized for broadband use and what the rules around them are that have been proposed. Not set in stone yet, but proposed. So to do this, uh, we are relying on our uh, on our uh, long-term um, cast of folks, the people who have been here the most often, uh, Kim McKinley, the, uh, the, the second poobah at uh, Utopia Fiber in Utah, uh, the chief marketing officer, uh, but, but she's got the best laugh at Utopia, so we bring her back. <laughs> Nice to be back. Um, and I'm excited for this topic. I've, I've had a range of emotions thus far on this topic in the past day. Uh, we also have Doug, who's revealing his true colors. Um, it's, uh, it's after work hours. So he, colors. Yes. He, would never, he would never wear a tie-dye shirt while he was working, I'm sure. No, that's never happened. Yes. <laughs> Doug from CCG Consulting. Welcome back. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. And just by the way, when I was in 10th grade, I played Poobah and so in Gilbert and Sullivan. So I'm I think I got one up on Kimberly. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And as I was saying that I was wondering, like, uh oh, is this a, one of those words that I don't even know that might be um, offensive to some people? I, I don't know anymore. Um, and I would and I legitimately try to avoid those words. So um, we'll do it's a best. character in a Gilbert and Sullivan play. So you're safe. OK, great. Yes. Then we have Travis, who um, is sitting there in Minneapolis watching. And he's, I think he's going to have to put his house on the market to finance the next fiber network based on how prices are rising. So, uh, Travis, you always have an extra bedroom here as long as you bring wings. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, in interesting week on numerous fronts, but I just learned that Poobah was a character. I never knew that. 51 <laughs> years I've been around. I just, hmm. Doug, thank you. And when You're I start welcome. asking a question to anyone else, Travis is going to slip away to Wikipedia to read about it, probably, and then I'll already there. His eyes. No. The <laughs> Mikado, yes, mm. very good. And I am um, the person from the Institute for Local Self Reliance who also had a range of emotions yesterday, mostly just anger and horror and frustration um, after having gotten my hopes up, perhaps too high, that um, we would see actual competition encouraged in Washington, D.C. and broadband. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, I did want to start uh, with something that Travis had brought up, which I, I think is worth, we've, we touched on it a little bit, but, but I feel like Travis, like every now and then texts me and he's just like, oh my God, fiber prices, materials prices, they're going up. And then yesterday he texts me again. And I'm like, what, like just since yesterday, like, oh, you, don't even, you don't even want to answer the phone anymore. Cause it's a vendor saying, um, yeah, 10 to 30% rate increase on products moving forward. Um, now, luckily, I think a lot like Kim, we've got a lot of products locked in till the end of the year, but there is a lot of products, specifically resin-based products. It's, it's just unbelievable right now. What is a resin-based product? Um, so anything with plastic, your conduit in the ground. Um, I don't know what you use, Kim, but we use this Corning multi-port terminal. Those all have our resin plastic-based, basically, is, is the worst. And then electronics are hard to come by. So we're now ordering all of our electronics for uh, end of 22 into 23 right now to make sure that we have them. Uh, copper prices are through the roof. So our locate wires are up now. And labor, there's nothing better than competing with the government against labor. Here in Minnesota, you can sit at home on unemployment and make um, enough money uh, where you're not incentivized to go work. So um, labor is just ridiculous right now. I actually, I drove by a fast food joint yesterday, $18 an hour starting wage here in Minnesota. Unbelievable. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's necessarily yeah. just the um, um, 
uh, the fact that there's enhanced uh, payments to people who are on unemployment. I think there's a, a variety of factors uh, that play into that. Um, well, I'd, I'd, like lo I'd love to hear this one because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, what are the other factors? I make as much money on unemployment as I do working. Is there another factor? I don't think a lot of people make as much money on unemployment. <clears throat> wow. Um, Doug, you were going to say something. Yeah, I would think. actually agree. People don't make as much. I, I personally, Travis, think at least half of the issue comes. And now we're talking politics. We probably shouldn't. But I think half of it comes from the fact that people had a year and a half off to rethink their lives and they don't want to go back to crappy jobs. I really think that's a big part of it. So. Well, you know, and, and that's fair enough. But I think yeah, every yeah. sector, restaurants are, are struggling. Um, you know, we're struggling. I, I think everybody that's uh, is just trying to find people to work. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I would just say that I think this is a, I really hate the idea that, um, that the solution is always between two endpoints because you know, there's definitely a lot of examples where one endpoint was sitting right next to the solution and the other endpoint right. was a whole heck of a far away away from it. Um, but this is a case in which I think there's evidence on uh, that there's multiple factors impacting it. I remember just, was it five years ago when people were claiming that it was video games that were keeping people out of the labor market? And <laughs> it turned out that when people got paid more, more people left their video games behind and went into the into the market to work. So, um, But, but can know, we get back to the material shortage because yeah well going. i want to get to the we're going to come yeah. we'll, we'll get back to the material shortage and then ah. we're going to come back to the labor issue <laughs> so, okay there's, there's a, talk about yeah. materials shortage that should be the name of the show today shortages well and i think this is a bigger problem even than your dislike of this thing we're going to talk about because it doesn't do any good for a city to try to use this money if they can't buy anything to build with yeah. What is so? What is what is the long term ramification here? And Kim, let me let me. I, I feel like you know, before the show we were talking, we're all on the same page. So it's not like you're going to offer a conflicting opinion. But like, how concerned <laughs> are you about this? I think we are concerned. I think we're monitoring it. It's one of the reasons that Utopia is vendor agnostic in everything that we've done, so we don't get leveraged um, by some of these shortages as much as other uh, projects around the country. Um, which were very unique by, about being vendor agnostic and not having one platform for all of our um, all of our tools. So in theory, resin-based challenges, chip shortages, these things should get ironed out before too long, right? But fiber shortages, there's no, I mean, that's a pretty inelastic, right? We're not going to like suddenly see a whole bunch of new fiber coming on the market next year, are we? There's only a handful of fiber factories. They are, they are just being eaten up. They were already under huge pressure from Verizon. Verizon's the big buyer the last two years. And so they're not, and it takes something like six or eight years to launch a new fiber optics factory. So now we're not going to see a quick fix for that. So yeah, I don't know about you, Kim, but we're ordering now for 23 fiber. Absolutely. I've been asked for sales projections to 2023 and I'm like, yeah. it could be dramatically a dramatic swing in the next year and a half. How am I supposed to give uh, sales projections, like it's kind of going back to 2021 or 2020. How was I supposed to know that our sales would have gone up by like almost 70% year over year? Y you wouldn't have guessed it when you're looking at sales projections. Um, and who knew that broadband was going to be such the forefront of the conversation right well, now? It's, it, it's so bad for us that we're buying a warehouse to store a year worth of material here in country versus hoping that it comes in. You know, we had a, we had a, a couple of spools of fiber sitting outside of the LA port for two months waiting to clear in, you know, and we just, nothing you can do. So. Doug, is that cover the materials? Sorry, Kim. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that, that. It's going to be an interesting time to see what happens. Um, and we're all going to be watching and we're all going to be impacted. Um, just like Travis said, uh, because we all want, we want, want more fiber in the ground, but really we need the, we need the fiber um, just to get to our white warehouses to even have the fiber in the ground. Well, Doug, I wanted to ask you because I was kind of doing some back of the napkin math. And, you know, when we first started out, it was a struggle at the time. And to, when we were buying fiber and we were buying parts and pieces substantially cheaper, imagine trying to start out today with labor costs up, product costs up, and our subscription revenue hasn't gone up exponentially with it. So I'm just curious what you're seeing out there as far as business models go outside. Well, that's ex and, and that's the point I tried to make a second ago is I, I don't know how a startup is going to get off the ground today. Yeah. And we're, we're going to see a hundred startups yep. and where, where are they going to get anything? They're not going to be able to get, you name it. 
they're not going to be able to get engineers to design the network. It's not just, I mean, you, you go through every single piece of the supply chain, they're not going to get any of them. I mean, I mean, you, before we got online here, Travis said vendors aren't even taking new customers. That's what, a bad thing. What happens to some of these projects that already bonded with some of these assumptions? And what happens to those projects who kind of got caught in this like middle ground? They are dead. Yeah. You, once you take your bond money, you can't give it back very easily. So yeah, they're well, in big trouble. So. And this will, this will come into the rescue plans. I mean, one can enhance some of that with the, the flexible use of dollars potentially to yeah. uh, extend that network. Um, because it's certainly, it's very difficult. I mean, we've seen this with other places where, um, you know, you do your best to forecast. But this, this issue, I want to talk about labor for a second, though, because it leads into something else, which leads into something else, which leads us to the rescue plan. I have, a, I have, a, I have this whole map. It's this crazy person, like string and pins behind me that you can't see. Um, so, Travis, this issue with labor, I find, I find fascinating because, you know, you had increased your prices um, after a long time in which you did not, um, as many ISPs haven't. Um, and one of the reasons is because you needed to increase that um, the revenue to, to finance the rest of your build. Mm -hmm. When you look at these increasing prices, I mean, are, are you just sitting there with this like knot in your stomach now? Um, like, like how rapidly does this get to changing your overall ability to build? Oh, we're going to have to take another small rate increase to absorb it. I mean, it's, it's no different. It's no different. You know, you know, I'm not an economist by any stretch. So I use the McDonald's method. I go and buy two cheeseburgers and a Coke and see how much it is today versus yesterday. And when it's $10 now, and it was $5 a couple of years ago, that's just what, you know, it's going to unfortunately come out of this, the subscriber's revenue. The problem we have and for competitors is now we're going to be bumping up against CenturyLink pricing. And now it's going to be, you know, when we were trying to be bigger, better, faster, cheaper, and now you're just, oh, we're a fiber provider too. You know, we, those are some potential real issues that the industry is going to face. And if I was a small upstart right now with the cost and the labor and the equipment and the materials, it would, I, I don't, it's funny how this industry has now changed, Doug. It's easier to get capital now than it is to get parts and pieces and labor at a, at a, at a, right. at a reasonable rate. We, we, right, just flipped, right. we just flipped over. That was the biggest ugly, weird flip we've ever had. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, here, here's all the money you want, but you still can't build. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite thing though is, is everyone's like, well, when prices return to, no I'm like, uh huh. When has that ever happened? Yeah. You know? I mean, I just want to remind everyone, you two are unique and that you're able to order two years ahead. Hardly any, most of my clients yeah. can't do that. That's a, that's a good point. Well, yeah. what you're seeing is, in, and I think Travis is, is you're having the downward pressure for all uh, fiber providers to provide faster service at like lower cost. Mm -hmm. And now with this, like this equipment shortage, you're seeing how do we balance this act? Because you need the digital equity play of getting lower cost broadband, but now you're having the equipment costs and all of the material shortages happening. And if you were in New York state, the state just told you, you have to order, offer 10 and $15 you know, $20 broadband, you can't do it. So you, you can't do yeah. it. Yeah. No, we have a question no, in the audience that is relevant, which is um, the art off buys. Um, the, the, the person says the art off buys haven't hit yet. I just kind of suspect that the market is pricing some of them in, or am I wrong? I would say that it, some of the larger art off guys like Charter have already ordered. So they certainly are in there. I mean, they know they're going to get the money. And so they've certainly put their orders in for the next three years. But a lot of those RDOF guys aren't even sure if they're getting the money yet. So when they finally get their money, that's going to be even worse. But you have to think that Frontier, Windstream, Charter, those guys are already ordering for it. So uh, so, this, so okay, it, so is, it, is, it is partially in the, model, in the market. Here's, here's yeah. um, I, I should have an envelope around for the... Um, some sort of Karnak ripoff. Um, but here's Chris predicts the future, right? Uh, we just, over the past eight years, um, whether it's labor or materials, they've been escalating quite slowly. And I think many of us have argued that there's no reason for the cost of a broadband tier to increase uh, because the rate of, of, of which the costs were decreasing effectively per bit was such that one could price a service 
And while labor costs were going up, other costs were going down. And so you could keep delivering that. During that time, we saw broadband prices from the biggest carriers up, what, like 20, 40%, depending on the, the time frame, up right. significantly. Now we're entering a period where for several years, we're going to see labor prices and material prices shooting up, which means Travis is raising prices. I don't know. Kim Kim might even be talking about it. Who knows? Um, but other... other Okay, so other ISPs are going to be raising, like, I assume the big companies are going to be going even more rapidly, right? And so, like, here's the thing that I find really interesting. The Biden administration has made some bold promises. And this is why I advised, um, you know, my, my shouting into the ether, which in this case, um, a tweet that said that I advised um, Vice President Kamala Harris to stay the hell away from broadband um, because <laughs> it looks bad today and it's going to look really bad in 2024. And I'm going to stand by that because I think the Biden administration, if it does everything right, if it did everything like really boldly, I think it could change things. If it tries to chart this course in the middle, which we're about to talk about. I think we see a bunch of bold promises. And the only thing most Americans see is their prices go up. Uh, I do not think much changes before the 2024 election. And I would not want to be the candidate that had promised for years to be making this better. So on top of, the, of what I was talking about, the prices also don't forget, we have all these art off awards that are going to go out. And so even if the Biden administration gets rural America totally correct, people are going to be seeing these dumb art off projects fail or not delivering in a lot of ways. And they're going to be thinking this is Biden's fault, even though they had very little to do with it. So I think it looks bleak unless you chart a really bold pro-competitive um, uh, direction in D.C. right now. Well, you can't blame all this on any administration. I mean, this whole material shortage has nothing to do with them. Oh, I'm not know. blaming on them. I'm just saying yeah. the dynamics oh, the, make the, it very difficult. Oh, their timing was terrible. I mean, we, we, it, the last 10 years have been amazing because there's really been no inflation in broadband costs. Electronics went down, fiber went up, but he it exactly went out, as you said. And we got very spoiled by that because I've been doing this for 50 years and it, we always had inflation before the last 10 years. So we got very complacent with that. Uh, so you know, that, that's going to have to end. But the big guys are on their way to $100 broadband, had nothing to do with any of this. I mean, Comcast already is at $90 if you don't have a special or a promotion. So, you know, that. You know, it's a hundred dollars is not very far away. So well, you're you yeah, you're exacerbating the digital divide. And that's right. one of the other like Biden's promises is to get into these digital equity and digital divide programs. And it's gonna be interesting is cost a lot. Oh yeah, I mean, that's a so, whole not another show because boy, that's I don't know how they're gonna do it. Yeah. So my premise is that if the Biden administration charts a sort of middle course where they just don't do that much. Prices go up for most people, and I think people get more and more angry. Mm -hmm. uh, does anyone disagree with that uh, sort of as a prediction for the next few years? I think more and more communities are going to look to do this because they're going to get so fed up with the private the private companies, and not because the private companies have any choice on some of these factors, but the consumers are not like tuned into what is happening in the broadband industry on subscribers. On yeah, or subscribers, yeah. Sorry. Thanks, communities totally have some that. interesting choices. Communities can finance a network from sales tax or from property tax revenues and have very, very cheap prices if they want to. I mean, they have some very interesting choices. Yeah, but won't they get, they'll get sued by the big companies if well, they. No, I mean, like there's places that are, I mean, like, um, you know, uh, Leverett, Massachusetts, Linden Township right. in right. Uh, Michigan, um, Rio Blanco County in. Um, in Colorado, like they didn't raise their taxes, but they used just general, um, uh, general proper or general tax base money to build open access fiber and subsidize that cost. I mean, they happen to I, be very small. If a big city does that, we will have a lawsuit. But yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Travis, I think you've been sitting there waiting to figure out how to disagree with me. Well, I mean, I, I think it's naive for us to think that broadband won't go up when everything else is. And the, because there are people that, you know, are sit behind these networks that manage, maintain them, take care of them, run the infrastructure in pieces. Um, so I think it's an interesting situation where we have prices going through the roof and we, and we have people sitting there thinking that we need to provide $10 internet. I mean, the only companies that can do that are the companies where their infrastructure is already in. And those are the people that, you know, you're trying to compete against. 
So this this whole boon actually plays very well for in our market, CenturyLink and Comcast, because the prices get too much higher, we might have to slow down just just to be able to sustain this 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 expense that's happening. And now, but I, so I feel like you're not disagreeing so much. I well, what I hear from you is a sense that like. Um, I mean, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I would not want to be the elected official that's out there recorded saying I'm going to fix this problem, because See, I don't a, know if even if you have a bold fix, like it's going to take freaking years for it to filter through. Even but here works. in Minneapolis, that isn't what people are thinking about. People are thinking about, you know, the crime and all the those are real issues that are going on. If somebody has to pay an extra five dollars for Internet that they're not going to they're not going to squawk too hard about that. I think that's the bet. And that's what I hear from from some folks is that, well, net neutrality was supposed to be this big issue. We can't identify a single candidate who lost because of it. Yeah, yeah, um, that's possible. I'm I mean, it, it might even be probable. I just I feel like people are attached to Internet access in ways that we don't fully appreciate and that I feel that we're heading into a period of, of rapid price increases. And Travis, I'm not talking about like whether like, oh, I hate you now because you've raised your prices a little bit. I'm talking about where Comcast is going from like the annual increase of four or $3 um, and then a sneaky fee increase to being like a $10 increase and hitting that $100 mark, you know, um, that rate. And I think people are going to start getting really upset. Um, you know, well, I, but I don't know if the masses will, you'll have the, the vocal minority that might get upset about it, but I think the masses are like, yeah, you know, they, I mean, I think the majority of our business comes in because we don't play games with them, not so much dollars, you know, what the price is, you know, I think, I, I don't know what Kim's opinion is, but, you know, if you have just a predictable monthly rate, if it's $50, 60 $80, if people just get used to that's what the rate is, it's when you start playing all these games and when you call them. Right. But the vast, majority of, the vast majority of Americans have no choice. They're on markets. They're on programs they're only up they're only options like me i'm in st paul i have one option and that's a provider called comcast that plays games well, well do you though i mean how many providers do yeah. you really have one i mean like I, I could i could go down to 40 megabits a second and like <laughs> and then i would be talking like yeah when, well hold when, on don't you have five don't you have 5g <laughs> <laughs> i haven't checked if t-mobile has 5g yeah. in my neighborhood is there 7g over there i thought they were bringing it, I thought it was, so Kim, were you going to say something? I want to move us. Well, on to the I was going to say is that we've almost trained the subscribers to be used to the games of raising prices. So by them raising the prices, I don't even think they're going to be shocked about it. Um, like I think it's they're just accustomed to these like week, monthly or yearly price hikes that that come out of nowhere. So, Doug, I want to move on to the rescue band, but first I just have to say you're old and um, you probably remember the <laughs> 1992 Cable Act. <laughs> and, and it seems to me that like that was 1996, were... but yes, I do remember. <laughs> no, no, that, that was the 96 Telecommunications Act and 92 I, was the Cable oh, yes, Act I do and remember the price the regulation. Act. People were pissed off. Prices were going up and they were going up they faster were. than they have been in recent years. But right. I don't know, the next three years, we might see prices going up at the same rate that they were in the late 80s and early 90s when people made it a voting issue. Like this was a whole big deal with like George H.W. Uh, Bush's um, campaign and whatnot. Every time. Yeah, but it'll take two or three years of those rate increases for it to become an anger issue. I, I, I think if there is a good chance that you're right, so. Well, there you one, go. One year of big, get that one, loop. one year of a ten year increase will do it. Chris, I want to ask you one three question. Three years will. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. All right, one question: If if next month your bill from Comcast showed up was a hundred dollars, would you pay it? And my bill for Comcast right now is ninety dollars for a gig, and I'm thrilled. So yeah, I would yeah I would pay it. I mean, I got locked into a two year contract for some sort of like loyalty thing, <laughs> loyalty for only having so, one option. <laughs> so let's say let's say at the end it went to one hundred and twenty five. Would you pay it? That's I've paid it before. I'll pay it. I'll pay two hundred dollars a month. I have see, to. That's that's the reality, right? It's yeah. It's kind of like electricity or water or these other. I mean, I literally have gotten to the point I don't even look at the bill because I have no choice. What do I right, not but, want electricity? Let's be, but let's be clear though. There's a reason that your electricity bill is not a hundred dollars per kilowatt hour because Wall Street might they probably wouldn't. That would be like a really dumb thing to do. But like it could be 10 times higher than it is. And the reason it's not is because we've agreed that we're not going to let those companies screw us. We haven't made that agreement with cable companies. Um like so let's so here's the thing, right? This is ties into this rescue plan. The Congress 
passes this money and it's about build back better, right? It's not just about like, hey, how can we barely scrape out of this pandemic crisis? It's how can we make the smart investments that move forward? The Biden administration releases press releases saying, this is going to be awesome. We're putting billions of dollars into broadband. It's going to make your lives better. Da -da 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 -da. Treasury is responsible for writing the rules on how this money can be spent. There's two main pots we're going to be talking about today. One is what we will call direct aid, which is the big checks that are being going out. They're going out to local governments and to states. And the other is a $10 billion fund that we'll call the Coronavirus Capital Projects Fund or whatever, something along those lines to separate it. The rules for that are being determined by the U.S. Department of Treasury, um, which had to scramble to find people that knew what a broadband was so that they would be able to write rules around it. It's extremely odd as, um, as many people have said for treasury to be responsible for this. Um, and, and the rules that they released um, caused me to have a minor heart attack. Um, and since then, Doug has decided that I am, um, I am overreacting and, uh, and melodramatic, I think. So um, let's figure out how to attack this. I think one of the things to do is to just note that um, this is definitely not a, um, uh, these rules are not reflective of a White House that is charging in to encourage competition in the markets. Is that something that we can agree on? We would agree on that, but I also have to put context on this bill. It is a still, a, it still is a pandemic relief bill. This is not the infrastructure bill. It's the Build Back Better bill. I mean, that was the um, the American Jobs Plan. I don't think was the Build Back Better. I think this this bill was the Build Back Better rhetoric. Yeah. I mean, that's what the direct the that's why the money was for infrastructure projects and things like that. And I could be wrong. And we have a chat room where people can yell at me. Um, so, Kim, what was your first reaction upon seeing the rules? I was disappointed when I first saw the rules because I was like. At first, when we saw this money that was gonna be allocated, you had all, I had all these dreams of how we could help communities build fiber projects and do middle mile projects. And then they all got dashed when I looked at, uh, at read all the, the FAQs regarding the bill. Um, since then, I'm a little more wishy-washy, but um, at first it was kind of a little bit devastating uh, to see what it is because I think there was such hope. I had such hope. Maybe it was like you, Chris. My my, my maybe my expectations were too high when I, before this. Yeah, I mean, you know, Biden um, is someone who announced his campaign for presidency and went immediately to uh, Comcast. Uh, fundraiser. Uh, he grew up in Pennsylvania, which is Comcast country. He represented Delaware, which is Comcast country, effectively, like right next to Philly there. Um, you know, so, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, I listened, I listened to what they said, you know, like I, I took him literally and figuratively, I guess, <laughs> that they were going to, you know, that they were going to like embrace this new deal type of approach. Travis, I, I sent you the rules and, um, and I, um, I'm just curious how you reacted to them. I, I was reacting more to your reaction. I never saw you that animated. So I thought, oh, well, good. Maybe we won't have such a problem in the supply chain. Now that was my initial reaction to this, but, um, you know, cause I knew we weren't going to get any of this anyways. So I was like, well, Chris is animated, so it must be bad. And then, so I, started, I, fully... then I started reading through it, and it still do it still blows my mind that 25-3 is I was waiting for it. It took, it took like... I mean, it, <laughs> it I, I took 30 minutes, but like, you got to 25-3. Yeah, I, I just I can't even for. believe this is a conversation. But at least they said you had to have 100 by 100 if you, if you use this money. So that That's was... the part the cable industry is freaking out about. They're like, yeah. this is not fair. If you're going to build well, they a network, do, you build they a can't do 100 network. by 100. That's why they're yeah. freaking if out. If they build a brand new network in an area, they're going to build it with Doxis 4, aren't they? They're going to do the, the no, splits. You can't buy Doxis 4 yet. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, my first reaction was the same as yours, Chris. I was actually angry. I thought, oh, man, this thing is really bad. But, you know, I've spent 40 years, almost 38 years reading FCC orders, and this is not an FCC order, but it's a government order, and this doesn't have all the harsh language in. It doesn't have any shalls. It doesn't make you do anything. It, it, it suggests things you should do, and it gives you a couple outs, and so I think it's going to be a big lawyer battle, and I think that cities who really want to find some light in here can if they try hard enough, 
and, and I think it was written that way on purpose. That's just my guess. I mean, I'm because I didn't find any of the harsh lawyer language. This thing could have very clearly said, thou shall not build anything unless it has 25.3 today. It doesn't use the word shall once. And, and lawyers obviously reviewed every single sentence 11 times. So, so I don't think it's as harsh as you think it is. It's also not pretty. I mean, I wasn't thrilled about it and I'm still not, but I don't think it's as pessimistic as you are, but, but it's still not go build whatever you want. I mean, it's certainly not what Utopia thought it might be. Let's just go build middle mile, hook up the cities. It's clearly not that easily. So let's, and let's right? be clear, like it wasn't like Utopia was crazy. We read the language that was passed by statute, like Congress passed language and it did not have limiting language. At some point, the Biden administration decided and I did, and we so we just put a story up on MuniNetworks.org um, about this that, that includes a lot of block quotes and things like that. The Biden administration decided, whether it was in Treasury or somewhere else, that Congress intended the broadband portion of the money only to be used in areas that lack infrastructure. And and I don't understand where they got that. And I've read an analyst note that says they don't understand where they got that. And when I look at it, it's also interesting because you look at it and like there's the same language is used for like, you could use it for broader, for water, or you could use it for broadband. And someone looked at that and said, well, obviously only broadband where it is lacking by some definition that we have, we don't have. So I want to, I want to read this. The, um, uh, under the interim final rule, eligible projects are expected to focus on locations that are unserved or underserved. So this is what you're talking about, Doug. It does uh -huh. not say they shall. It does not say that hell shall rain down upon them if they ignore this, this language. And then it says, so language locations that are unserved or underserved. So I'll just pause for a second and say in this document, they use both of those words interchangeably, although they are not interchangeable. To me, it suggests that perhaps in the editing process of going back and forth, they just decided to chuck out un underserved, um, which is part of one of the things I would suggest that they resolve. Um, so underserved or under unserved means lack of access to a wireline connection capable of reliably delivering at least minimum speeds of 25 megabits download and three megabits upload. I don't know why they, they, they include this reliable like metric, which is good because I think it's important, but we don't have a way of measuring it. But frankly, if it's reliable, I don't care if it's wireless. Like, I don't understand the wireline thing. Like, yeah, the the wireless, like, I don't understand. The wireless threw me for a loop. Like, are they saying you can overbuild anyone even if they're delivering 200 megabit wireless? It kind of suggests that. But the reliable to me is a really good out because I just did a set of speed tests for a city who has Comcast as their ISP. And this turns out to be one of the older crappy Comcast network. 20% of the homes in the town had speeds under 25 megabits. Comcast now, these are, you know, this is a very bad Comcast network. That city can take this money and go, they don't have reliable. Right? Yeah. So, but here's the, so then let me ask Kim, any reaction to any of that so far? No, I just think I was like, what is reliable? Are we going to get right. the ISPs to self report that too? <laughs> I mean, like, is, like, what does that mean? So, I think it's lawyer language to let you go. My town's not reliable. I can use this money the way I want. The other thing that gives me pause, Chris, is there's no clawback in here and there's no penalties for using the money and there's no application. I don't have to ask anybody how to spend the money. And so I think that gives you a lot of leeway to spend it the way you want. Again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm reading it obviously the way I want to read it. <laughs> but but that's how I can easily see that reading in here because normally these kind of things, if they really mean you shall only do this, tell you what happens if you don't do that. And, and there's none of that in here. So I think that there's a bunch of leeway here. I could be wrong. And, and I think what we all honestly have to do is to wait a few weeks for the people who wrote this to start getting on webinars like this and let's see what they say because intent usually matters. So, so it's still not nearly what you were hoping for, either one of you. Clearly it doesn't just say do what you want. Right, but we're I, eternal I also, optimists. We're eternal optimists. Yeah. I also get my back up to that because it's not just like Chris is living in a dream world. I am. It's beautiful. Well, no, I understand. But, I understand. But it's, it's very clear. Like the Biden administration was like, we love munis. 
we love co-ops. <laughs> like we are going to fix these markets. We are going to structurally change this so that we don't have monopolies that are price gouging. And well, I feel Chris. like whoever said that, then like I mean, the president said that, and then I feel like uh, I feel like other people are like, wait a minute, how, how are we going to do that? <laughs> well, I think like for me, because I was thinking about this, like why did I have my hopes up? Well, because you saw the EBB come out and they had opened up the like some lessons on the lower the restrictions on the EBB to let like open access and some other people qualify. So then you you were starting to think that that was where the road the road they were going to go down, and now you're like, huh, okay. And I mean, for me, it was. Uh, you just saw big telco and their lobbyists doing a great job um, to enter their interest into this uh, into this bill or into this ARP. Yeah, and that's where I feel like it connects back to this earlier question about me making this big deal and predictions about prices. Is that if the Biden administration really wants to attack this, they are going to have to really piss off the cable lobbyists. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing here is that they're trying to tiptoe around the cable lobbyists. And I appreciate that because there's a lot of administrations that have people that haven't been willing to tiptoe around the cable lobbyists, but tiptoeing around the cable lobbyists doesn't get the job done. It doesn't achieve the promises that have been made. Well, and if they really wanna tackle the cable lobbyists, they're gonna to have to reimplement price controls. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I, yeah. I have deep concerns about about price controls, and I and I respect people, uh, allies of mine that, that that I think see a path there. Um, I I don't imagine that the FCC has the the um, uh, the power, the willingness, the capacity to effectively do this. And, and I mean, I, Doug, go back to 1992. Do you think the price controls worked there? They, they were absolute failure. Yeah. In fact, we put price controls on, off, on, off, on, off. There was three rounds of it. Yeah, so uh, it, it doesn't work. <clears throat> but the problem, you know, is, but is the problem is, companies. the problem is, Chris, do your math of these big increases. What happens when it hits $200? They will. Well, this is the thing though, right? Like, I mean, Travis, you're like, <clears throat> you're sitting there and, and you're saying like your materials prices are going up. Maybe you have to raise prices a little bit, but like, are you afraid of hitting $70 a month if Comcast is at 120 bucks a month? No, I, I guess our, our, our bigger fear would be hitting $65 when CenturyLink is at 65 for five. Do you think is CenturyLink really at 65? Like, aren't they going to, I mean, they have this like price for life thing. Yeah. They have labor costs. I mean, a lot of times they're using, they're not using like, you know, like super cheap contractors. They have good union jobs in many cases. Yeah, like, but they're going to have to figure out how to pay for this stuff. No, too. But they're, they're really smart. I give them credit that they only offer gigabit speeds on fiber and they use their DSL product. And when you look at your customer base and 70% of it are going to take the low cost option. They, they, they can back them into their DSL plant. Well, we saw here right in Salt Lake when Google Fiber announced to build out in Salt Lake that CenturyLink did their price for life. Yeah. And now they're um, going back on it and actually have been sued here um, right. because the price for life was not really a price for life. It was yeah, they didn't really mean it. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what we're seeing. And then, you know, the other thing is CenturyLink is an aerial network. They can overlash their DSL. I mean, there's a, they have a, their economies of scale are, are substantially less than like a, a greenfield builder like Kim or I. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I'm concerned that Kim and I might be one of the last new networks built as, as, as these labor and, and pricing goes through the roof. I mean, it's just, I don't know, Doug, Doug looks at these financial models like crazy. I don't know how an upstart can get going. Kim, did you, did you capture that? Um, you know, Travis has been in the business for what, like 11 years. You've been in it for, for 15. You're yeah. the young guys. Yeah. yeah. Or the Interesting best sleight of hand, Travis. They're going to end. Well, with no, I mean, with I, I watched, yeah, I watched the cable network be installed when I was like eight years old in my backyard. You know, I mean, that, it's been around for a long time. Well, what you're missing, Travis, is there's plenty of places in the U.S. where you're not building against CenturyLink and Comcast. There's some really yeah. bad... Yeah cable companies in the well, world so, and that yeah. you know and and we are the you know, at least you know there's very few of us actually building in what i'd call nfl sized cities you know right. yes yeah yeah if you want to go out and build in waterloo iowa and stuff yeah there you can overbuild that well, you know you've there, just really you've really made all of our watchers in waterloo iowa mad so well, no, I'm just saying that, that would be that would be a, i think metronet's doing it so i think that's a good area to go 
I don't know. I don't think Waterloo hasn't um, agreed to Metronet yet. I don't think, have they? Haven't they? I don't know. I just, I heard a rumor. So I think Waterloo is one of the cities that I just hope isn't going to sign one of these. Like I call, I think, I think it was like the Metronet red line special. (laughs) Like, like, let's just get, let's just go straight up. And like, Travis, you get crap for not building fast enough in low income towns. Oh, no, no. I only, I only get crap from areas that we haven't delivered fiber to until the day we do Then I'm their best friend. Right. Right. So, but that's so my it, point. Yeah. Like, imagine yeah. if you just made a policy and you just said, no, we're never going to deliver to Phillips. That's what Metronet does. <laughs> like, they go into right. towns and they just, and they're like, nope, we're going to do like all of these neighborhoods and not those three. And, and that's okay. Apparently, that's cool. Like, cities agree to it. I think it's ridiculous. Um, well, cities don't have much say, right? You know, you're, 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 you're permitting in the public right away. So you, you well, can... some of these cities are like really blessing it with like public pronouncements oh, okay. and things okay. and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I mean, just want to be clear because everyone thinks like, we, we have to have permission from Minneapolis to do what we're doing. No, we pay the permit fees probably just like Kim does. You don't have, there's, there's no big grand, you know, what do we say? Puba sitting up, Puba. In, yeah, yes. up in Minneapolis going, I bless you to go down that road. No, we just pay the fee like everyone else can. Okay. So as, I, as I'm looking at this, I want to, I want to go over a couple of things that, that I have said in this, in this argument. Um, I think it's accurate to say that roughly 90% or more of the United States um, of Americans, um, of people in their homes, have 25.3. Like um, this reliable 25.3 is a different question. But like we're at a roughly 90% penetration of cable networks, according to the cable lobby. Um, To me, that seems more or less accurate. I think it's in the high 80s. I don't think it's quite that high, but that's because I think some of those claims are not are so bad they don't count but it's still very high yeah i think it's probably more like 87 or something but it's still a giant number yeah right i think one of the things that happened in here is that a lot of people um in dc they read these statistics from places like microsoft and netflix and youtube and they say most people aren't using the internet at 25.3 therefore it's not available and that is a real misreading of how this works, right? Because there's a number of people, a significant number of people who are on plans that are less than 25.3, but 25.3 is available to them at a high price because the market's broken. <laughs> like, um, and so I think there's, there's literally a bunch of people in DC who are convinced that even if you limit broadband networks to areas that don't have 25.3, we will see municipal broadband springing up in those places. And, and, and Doug and Kim, I'm curious, like my sense is there's no route to municipal broadband in those areas in many cases. In many cases, but I'd first, let me address the Microsoft study. Microsoft studies the download of software. What they missed was most of the big ISPs use burst technology. You get good fast speeds for 60 to 90 or 120 seconds, and then you crawl. And, and that's on purpose. And they never tell you that your speed is not 100 megabits your speed is 100 megabits for 90 seconds, and then you get crap. And so Microsoft saw the long, slow crap to finish downloading the big file. And they go, wow, those people are not getting their speeds. They did get the, they did get their 100 megabits because most things you do on the internet are done in the first 90 seconds. Right. And so, and no one, CenturyLink never tells you that, that if you're online all the time, you're really getting three megabits. <laughs> and so the Microsoft study uncovered the bursting problem. People are not really getting those speeds. They get them for two minutes. Kim, do uh, you screw with people's connections like that? No, of course not. <laughs> Never. No. Um, we right. no, but I think it, it's a little <clears throat> bit different because we have home run connections and how our, the architecture of our built, like our active E is working and blah blah blah. It's a little bit different, but yes, um, it's a little bait and switch. It's shocking, Doug, that the uh, big telcos are not telling the truth. Like I've actually tried to do competitive studies with some of the big telcos in our area. And I can't even find what their upload speed is. Like you can't even like, you're, I'm like researching the fine print and you can't even see it. They're not even advertising. Now remember the net neutrality law forces them to disclose that to you. And that law never got changed. That's not one of the things the courts overturned. And yet none of them are telling us (laughs) that is a law that they're supposed to tell you that. So yeah. So Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. So, Doug, you you said that was the first thing, the Microsoft study. What's the second yes. thing? Well, I forget your first question now. <laughs> it was, a, it was freaking you know, Once I saw the poobah here, I just kind of lost that stuff. 
the question is whether people have a, an appropriate model of where we have broadband problems in the country. And no, and they, they we really don't. It's it, nobody. I mean, I'm probably closer to this than anyone I know, and I don't know. I go, every, is, yeah. I go to a new county, I get surprised by things I find. You know, well, so. but I think it's very interesting because a lot of people are like, well, we need to go to these areas where they're underserved or unserved. And most of our new communities that we're signing um, deals with right now are in areas with two big competitors, two big incumbents. So it's not just these areas with monopolies and these small providers. It, the problem is much bigger than we're talking about right now. Yeah, this is, I mean, this gets to like the, the, the question, which is like, when I, my sense of what people in treasury are thinking is, um, and also elsewhere in the Biden administration is we need to get out of this and we need to figure out how to, um, to just like, you know, get people better broadband. And that means municipal broadband in these mythical towns that have nothing. And, um, in, in, from what I can tell, there's no towns left that have nothing. They generally have something that works part of the time. Um, and I mean, it might be a gigabit cable network that works five days a week, right? Like, I mean, like it's all over the map, but like there's no town in America where there's not a broadband connection available. Like, Doug? Uh, at least, at least towns above 500 people. There's still sure, towns yeah. under 500. So my argument yeah. is like, and so like that's <coughs> the argument is basically, well, here's what we do. We give money to the rural areas like we always have, and we subsidize Comcast in Minneapolis, and that solves it. And and my argument is no, the better thing to do is to subsidize freaking Travis. Like to, to subsidize yes, yes I agree. <laughs> yes, I'm a hundred percent and and we will use every nickel of the free money to build good because network. Let's talk again about this. Like, let's be clear. Like, I think you, know, you didn't really think that that's what this money was gonna go for, did you? I told Chris a long time ago, this money was just like all the rest of them come in and just disappears and you don't ever know what happened to it. So yeah, I mean, I never, I, I, never the record. I never expected this money was going to go to Travis, not in a million no, years. I, no, I didn't expect it to go to Travis. I expected that there would be places in which, for instance, um, a, a city might build conduit and it would lease it to Travis's. You know, we'd have a few of them maybe. And they, or they would, um, you know, they would build dark fiber and lease that to people like Travis. I don't think there's a whole lot of, I mean, I think we're going to continue to see cities that come in and they do the retail model, Doug, but I think most of the growth in municipal owned fiber and conduit and stuff like that is to enable private sector competition. Okay. Now let me tell you where I think this law allows that. This isn't the law, mm -hmm. but where this stock, the very last paragraph on page 77 mm -hmm. says there's also a second use for this, a second eligible use, which is to assist households facing negative impacts of COVID, including internet access and digital literacy. And I think that that's not, that's an or phrase. You can either do the 25-3 stuff or you can help people who are having problems. And I think that this, I think that paragraph allows you to build conduit in cities. That, I've read that thing 11 times, maybe 20 times. And I think it, I think that, that's not 25.3 plus this. I believe that's a whole second use of the money. And they snuck it in at the very last sentence. <laughs> so what the attorneys are going to interpret, interpret that as, as right. the, the attorneys. And I think that is one of the troublesome things about this is you're letting all of this interpretation be left up to the attorney um, from your city, county. Well, I think that's on purpose because if they would have made this specific, I believe that the cable guys would have won. Remember, they were being lobbied heavily, I'm sure. And so if they would have been explicit, it probably would have been, we really would have hated it. By being loose with the language, I think they've, again, you don't have to apply to anybody for this money. No one's going to look over your shoulder what you built. What's to stop you from interpreting this the way you want to? Your city attorneys. I mean, this is this is why I still feel some legitimacy to my my frustration and and to this long piece that we've written in which we talk about how we think there is no basis for this except for the monopoly power of the cable companies putting their thumb on the scale. Um, that there are places. I mean, I think there could be well um, billion billions of dollars of projects that don't happen because it's not just a, it's not a city that's saying should we build fiber or shouldn't we build fiber. It is cities that are saying we have five different plans, we have fifteen different plans of how to use this money, 
and you tell them that, oh, well, there's this thing with broadband, we have to do this determination, and the, the, the city attorney is a little bit nervous, they're going to go with the other 14 plans. That's how well, This money does cover every sort of infrastructure in the world, so you're absolutely right. So, yeah. And so that's that's my concern is that like I think I think this plan perhaps by trying to dance around the cable companies it will result in a lot less fiber being built than if they had followed the intent of Congress. It was the cable companies that successfully lobbied to make this convoluted and appear to be controversial to build networks in areas that already have cable companies serving them. And that I would agree with. The language clearly got compromised by the lobbying, but I still think that. I think the folks at Treasury battled that as well as they could and came out with, with wiggle room. So that's where my story ends. That's just my guess. Ways. Because yeah. I, I agree with it. And I, and I don't think this is a story of like, let's figure out the person in Treasury that um, that sucks. It's, it's a matter <laughs> of recognizing that, that we live in a screwed up system in which the, just because of the fact that the cable companies have so much power, they get to veto Congress's intent. Congress, and then let's be clear, the Democrats in Congress. Want normally, to, normally they actually get to write Congress's laws. So this is at least yeah. better than that. So. Yeah, yeah, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that's, that's ultimately, um, I feel like the issue is that like, is that we have to comport our public policy to the desires of, of an industry that just has massive lobbyists. Um, and and I think we should all be somewhat ashamed by that. When we read about this in history, we're like, man, those railroad companies, why would anyone listen to them? I mean, well, the thing that blows are. me away is every time I do the math and Charter and Comcast alone um, have 52% of all the broadband com customers in the whole country, just those two companies. You don't think that's a monopoly? Holy mackerel. I mean, that's just mind boggling. So yeah, they have such power. Oh, man. Yeah, we're going to get there. Utopia is going to get there one day. Come on. I mean, we're. Well, that's well, on the last one of these. You're going to have a monopoly. She's going to control. <laughs> Remember the last time she told us she's going to control the world. It's just going to take like 80 years. So. <laughs> one no i i mean i agree it's a sad state of affairs when two companies own 52 percent of the market. yeah yeah it's i mean if, if there if there's any definition of a monopoly market that's it right so i am going to revise my post with a link to this to note that i have been walked back partially off the ledge well you're um, off the ledge now but you're still pretty darn close i'm like bugs bunny or like no i'm like the coyote my legs are still like I'm, I'm running in the air and i haven't yet decided if i'm falling or not yet unfortunately i have to say i agree with your assessment that city attorneys are going to be the deciders and some of them are really conservative and cities who might want to do this might get talked out of it so I completely buy that argument. From but you, so. shouldn't we also recognize that this is not the fi finalized version of it? So it could change to piss right. us off or make us happier. Well, unfortunately, right. so that is... see that scares me because yeah. then the, the cable lobbyists will get in there and they listen to this. They listen to us today and they're going to change. No, no, come on now, come on now. Like, like, let's be very clear. Like, the, like there's cable lobbyists that are jokes that we deal with, but there's like people that are very good at their job. Oh, yes, they knew what was happening. They had a better sense of this. Not only that, they read it before we did. Like, of course. You know, like they got the drafts of it. Like, I mean, they knew what was happening. I mean, that's, I, we have to assume that. Like, this is not a surprise to them. Yeah, but I think that the response could get them to act in different ways. So I think they're looking at the public response right now and kind of- and They're very pleased by topic. Chris's response and they're annoyed by my response. They're going, darn, that's not what we wanted. <laughs> Chris is playing right into their hands right now. He is, oh, no, here's, the, here's the issue, right? Like the question is whether the, well, first we haven't really talked about the $10 billion capital projects fund. Like treasury does have to approve those when states go to them to like, take the money out. And it's not clear to me that New York can get anything out of this. So, um, you know, like New York state certainly doesn't have $350 million worth of projects that are not in 25-3 area. So it'll be curious to see how treasury handles that. And it'll be curious to see how Senator Schumer responds to treasury handling that. So here's my fix. I think they actually use the word underserved properly. It's pretty clear to me that this fits with the language from AAIA, which is unserved is under the 25-3, underserved is, is between 25-3 and 100 by 100. And you say that cities should prioritize unserved and that they are allowed to make underserved investments. 
I love that interpretation of it, in which case was awful. You should love this if that's how you interpret it. That's not that. an interpretation. That would be a change to the yes. rule before they yes. go to the final rule. That they would not. They just, no, I want to say 30 seconds about the other, the, the $10 billion. All they've done on that is punt. They didn't say anything yet. They haven't come out with any of the rules. And they I've were heard they were people say that they that were required they were required by law to say something the other day so they said something but they haven't I have told seen, us the rules. No, I've seen a couple of things one yeah. of the things um, that I've heard is that they expect the rules to be largely similar and they did they did say something and that's about probably that that's almost why would they come out with something very different it's almost got to be similar right so mm -hmm. yeah so that I agree it's got to be very similar the difference being there has to be an application in that one because Congress had the word application in their worlds. So I don't know what that means, but I'm just picturing somebody at Treasury reviewing 6,000 broadband applications. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be a fun day, won't it? Yeah. It goes so. back to the employment question, and I think yeah. I think unemployment rather than having uh, <laughs> That goes back to the stimulus grants when people who never even heard the word broadband were reviewing the grants. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, Travis, final words. Well, it's it's very apparent, and I'm going to get Chris's blood boiling here, that the EBB is the finest piece of legislation to come out of Washington to address the broadband challenges to us in in America. Because as starting tomorrow, we will actually have some EBB customers on the internet utilizing the tools. So there you go. There's your government working. The rest of it, we feel like we're squabbling over our parents' money. So, you know, it's like, get out there, build these networks. And, you know, I want to address what we started out with, these 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 uh, communities that are thinking of not doing it because it'll get cheaper someday. No, today's your cheapest day ever. Build today. And don't wait for all this free money because listening to this, who knows what it's going to be. So Kim and, I'll, Kim and I'll keep hooking up customers. That's all I got to say. I'm I'm uh, starting that 6G company and I'm going to go around calling cities and saying, hey, I've got the yeah. perfect solution for you. <laughs> I actually think I nine, I want to restate. Say that again, 6G? Kim? I have to deal with them in a city council meeting of, isn't this 6G the new, the best thing on the market? Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I'm going 11G. That's my new prediction. <laughs> that's the one that's going to take over. Wow. Or so, Starlink, or that's the other one I hear a lot about now lately. That's going to be amazing too, apparently. Yeah, amazing. It's going to be just amazing. Well, there's a, so, I mean, this is an interesting point that um, I've heard a couple people make. And um, I should, you know, Dane Jasper at Sonic and, and Ernesto Falcone at EFF, Electronic Frontier Foundation, have both made the point. Next year, uh, there may not be an argument about unserved versus served. Um, almost all rural areas will technically be served in a with a low latency, decent 25.3, much better than 25.3 connection. And it's going to be very interesting to see how government responds to that. I, I'm very, I'm worried. I feel like, I think, I think the Leo stuff is going to be good. I think I'm much more bullish on it than Doug is, but I think it's going to be the next cable monopoly. It's going to be like high priced, poor customer service and stuff like that, because they'll be able to get away with it. Um, that's my prediction. It'll be a hundred dollars per month for sure. Well, it starts at hundred. My only yeah. problem with that is they can't do as many people as needed. They they don't right. have enough bandwidth to do millions of houses, and so it's, it's going to go. It's going to go to the people willing to pay the most. Well, I think they may have millions, but they don't have tens of millions. Sorry, no, go ahead, they don't have tens of millions. Exactly. Yeah, it's a rural solution. It's not a long term solution for cities or anything <clears> like that. If you are that one house that's five miles away from the nearest next house then it's a solution for that because fiber mm -hmm. to the home the the economics are never going to really make sense for that but for that one customer yes and for those people who live in that area i think it's well, for rural america it does i mean i did a study recently where it was twenty thousand rural people in a county the last 200 people cost 10 percent of the whole network mm -hmm. starlink is their solution those people never get fiber yeah. you know so we have a we have a question that we'll wrap up with in the chat which is can't we trick them by calling fiber 10g and <laughs> travis travis kim and doug do you remember there was an effort by the cable industry to brand itself 10g maybe eight or nine months ago 10 months ago like when they were talking about doxis 4 they called it 10g i think right yeah charter also when they first announced that they're going to get in the cellular business decided they were going to be 6g two years ago <laughs> they, they got shouted down in a hurry 
Travis, you just rebranded. You can't do it again. I can see the. Yeah, no, no, no. Thousand uh, G. There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little G. Yeah. You know what it is? It's all those one marketing people who yeah. think it's a great idea, and so they. Well, I, oh, I got to say now is Travis has sort of poisoned the whole market for everybody. So. Well, actually, I kind of like that one kg, and your yeah. and your logo could just be like uh, like a weight measure. Ooh. Oh. Huh? Yeah, you know, one thing, real real quick. You know, I think the industry did themselves a disservice with the speed number. You know, I think you right. said latency is just the unsung hero in this in the whole deal, and, and a real differentiator on these technologies. But it, it's just too confusing to explain to people, you know, what it is. So I'll just leave it at that. So go EBB, <laughs> team team EBB over here. So should I get you a shirt? Uh, yeah. he, if he doesn't have an EVB shirt on next call, yeah. I'm not even getting on with him. So, <laughs> so there's an interesting question about latency um, that we should bring up in a much more technical future show um, in terms of there's different versions of latency. And there are um, people that are on quite decent networks that, that have latency. I mean, it's part of this goes back to buffer bloat mm -hmm. and, and other things that we can talk about. Um, but um, just, there is some interesting stuff there around latency that I think may be coming out soon regarding people's experiences. Um, and I've, I've said before, I'm happy to talk about it because I'm happy to talk about anything with people that'll listen and make fun of me. But, um, but I think, I really think the future of, of a lot of solving a lot of our problems is super low latency networks that allow us to have dumb devices on the edge and have local cloud computing in which my Adobe Photoshop runs and my Adobe Lightroom and when word products and stuff like that. And I have a dumb device in my home that does does not have significant security vulnerabilities. And I think we move in that direction and we all benefit in a lot of ways. Yeah, so maybe latency is a future connection. Why, why, are, why are we even bothering with these calls if that's where we're headed? See, it's all, it's good. <laughs> Chris, that stuff's not legal in Minnesota yet that you're using. So just to be clear. Yeah, just be careful over there. Yeah, you got to move to Denver. <laughs> I have I have your number written on my arm in case yeah. someone needs to. <laughs> no, we should have a nerdy. We, we we should have a nerdy talk one time about peering and IXs and all that. You know, yes, because, we should have our first nerdy talk. Yeah, because it is interesting if you use our competitor's fiber product and try to go to YouTube, how bad it is. So fiber does not make a good network. Yep. Well, uh, actually, we do want to have a, a, an episode perhaps next week on internet exchanges and middle mile and stuff like that. I got to pull it together, which means I got to yep. stop ranting um, and getting my mouth out ahead of where the facts are, maybe. Um, but I appreciate this. I appreciate having people on that can gently um, both agree and disagree. Um, Kim, Travis, Doug, uh, thank you once again for another great episode of Connect This. this Sorry. Was a, it was a good one. I appreciate it. Thanks. Connect This. God, I got to get that right. <laughs>